Well, happy Easter to you all. My name's Anton, and I'm Senior Minister here. So glad that you have joined us on this special day. Well, it is possible to uh, be completely unchanged and unaffected by a world-changing event. There may be some dramatic shift in world history, but for some people that will make no difference to their lives whatsoever. So we've just had the New South Wales state election, and we've got a new premier and a new government. Uh, so, you know, so for those who either work in government or uh, work alongside government or are affected by particular policies, then you know they may see a massive shift in their lives. But my hunch is, for most of us, not much is going to change. Really, it's not. We're not going to be too affected by the result. Now, we may not call the New South Wales state election a world-changing event, but still, there may not be much difference to our lives. But I was listening to a history podcast the other day, and uh, they had an expert on talking about the Aztec civilization, the indigenous people who lived in the south of Mexico. And they had a genuine world-changing event when the Spanish conquistadors arrived to colonize the New World. A dramatic event in world history. But what was interesting was on the podcast, I was saying that for some people, for some Aztecs, at first it made very little difference to their lives. You know, if they were part of a forest tribe or something like that, they just went on their business of hunting or farming or things like that. And uh, they would have had little contact with with the Spanish, and so things didn't change much, even though this world changing event had happened. In some ways, everything had changed, but for others, uh, nothing much had changed. Eventually and sadly, this world-changing event, uh, the Spanish conquest, would catch up with everyone, with all the Aztecs. Everyone would be affected. And Easter is a celebration of a world-changing event. And Easter Sunday, we remember a man who claimed to be the Son of God declaring that he would bring in God's kingdom, rising from the dead. That's what we celebrate on Easter Day. Jesus is the definition of a world-changing event. Nothing would be the same after. However, for many, even with this world-changing event, things would stay the same. It is possible to remain unchanged, unaffected by a world-changing event, at least for a time. And so as we turn to the Bible today, we're going to look at how this world-changing event from you know, Jesus rising from the dead, how it affected some people who were there at the time, and then think about how that impacts us. So if you've got a Bible, turn back to uh, Mark chapter uh, 14, 15, sorry, Mark chapter 15. Uh, if you don't, I'll put the relevant passages on the screen. And... Uh, the first reading that we heard was from, it's from the Bible, but it's one of the Bible books, which is a historical biography of Jesus' life, written by a guy called Mark. And if you read through Mark's gospel, his account of Jesus, we would see Jesus' actions. We see his teaching. We observe how he treated people. And then at the end of his account, we have the Easter weekend, where Jesus is betrayed by a friend condemned by the Jewish ruling council and then executed on a wooden cross by Roman authorities. And today, 
we come to the final part of Mark's account of Jesus. And in this last part, we are introduced to a man called Joseph of Arimathea. He's a new character in uh, Mark's gospel. We haven't met him before. But we're told in verse 43 of chapter 15 that he was a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God. So he was a well-respected Jew of high position, a member of the Jewish uh, religious council. But here in his actions, he risks all that. He goes to Pilate, the Roman governor, for Jesus' body. And so he's risking himself with the Romans who are in charge. Because you know, Pilate is the one who just put Jesus to death. What if things he looks, he looks badly on Joseph as well? It's a big risk. Joseph also risks a lot with his fellow Jews, his fellow council members. Because the night uh, before, the Jewish ruling council had condemned Jesus to death. And so if Joseph uh, appears to be help, you know, treating Jesus well, then maybe he'll be ostracized by the other council members. But at his own expense, he bought linen to take Jesus down off the cross and wrap him in it. And he placed Jesus' body in... Uh, they didn't have graves back then. It was in a tomb, a, a cutout from a, from a cave. Now, we see in this that Joseph was portrayed as a model disciple, willing to risk everything to honour Jesus and give him a proper burial. But, of course, there is a problem. There is a problem. Firstly, we heard that Joseph was a member of the council the kind of Jewish religious council of the time. And as we just heard, this is the council that, well, when Jesus was on trial before them, corroborated events to try and accuse Jesus of, uh, of blasphemy, of dishonouring God by claiming he was God himself. And then the council beat him, verbally abused him, and then handed him over to the Romans to be executed. Joseph of Arimathea would have been there that night in the council. But did he object? Did he defend Jesus? Well, there was no mention of that. So despite his respectful treatment of Jesus' body, how could he be accepted by God if he was part of the council that condemned God's son to death? He would need a world-changing event to be forgiven by God. But he's actually got a bigger problem. He's got a bigger problem because uh, Mark's Gospel records that he was a prominent member of the council who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. So here he is waiting for God's kingdom. But what's just happened to the king of God's kingdom? He's just been put to death. What good is waiting for the kingdom if the king is dead? Now, Joseph did do an honourable thing and uh, treated the body of Jesus respectfully. But once that truth sets in, that the king is dead, all hope is lost. 
There is literally, literally no hope for the kingdom of God if God's king is dead. There'll need to be a world-changing event for there to be hope for God's kingdom. But then in Mark's account, the, uh, the story moves on. Joseph wasn't the only one at the tomb that night. Uh, as Joseph placed the body in the, in the tomb, in the cave, rolled a stone against the entrance, uh, the author includes this little comment. It says, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, different Joseph, uh, saw where he was laid. So we've got two women called Mary. And they saw which tomb Jesus was buried in. Uh, these two women had been devoted followers of Jesus for some time. And they were there when Jesus died on the cross, watching from a distance. And now they had seen where he was buried, and they could make some final plans. Because remember, Jesus was buried on Friday night, and then Saturday was a Jewish Sabbath. You couldn't do any work on the Jewish Sabbath, so that was a day of rest. And so here in the account, it's Sunday. It's Sunday. Let's pick up the story from the Bible. Start of chapter 16, if you've got it in front of you. So when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they may go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on, sorry, very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. So in those days, you'd anoint a dead body before you buried it, but there was no time for that on the night that Jesus had died. they, uh, Joseph put him straight, or the body straight in the tomb. And so these two Marys, these devoted followers of Jesus, brought spices to anoint Jesus' body a couple of days later. But they had a problem. They had a problem. They're on their way to the tomb and they realized they had a problem. They asked each other, who's going to roll away the stone to the entrance of the tomb? They'd forgotten that there'd be a massive stone rolled against the tomb's tomb's entrance. And between the two of them, they weren't going to be strong enough to move it. I feel like it's, you know, you've gone on holidays uh, and uh, you get to your destination and you go, oh, did you bring the keys to the holiday house? So these two women don't know how they're going to enter the tomb. But nonetheless, they were expecting a body to be there. They brought spices to anoint it. They weren't expecting the tomb to be empty. In fact, none of Jesus' followers at the time expected an empty tomb. Other accounts of Jesus' life record uh, his disciples. Remember the 12 disciples that Jesus had? Uh, The disciples were hiding. They were in in lockdown trying to to, uh, spare themselves from any further Roman uh, persecution for being associated with Jesus. Now, Jesus had told his disciples and the women that, that uh, he would be killed, but then be raised to new life. He'd prepared them, prepared them for this. But on this day, no one believed it. So the first doubters, the first ones to lose faith in Jesus after his death were the disciples and these two women. And so today, if you're, if you're you know, a bit of a skeptic, if you've got some doubt that 
someone really could rise from the dead, then you're in good company. These women, along with the disciples, they didn't think anyone could rise from the dead either. All our experience is that once people have died, that is it, they're gone. And so it's quite reasonable to be like these women and have no expectation that Jesus did rise from the dead. Very understandable. But that's not the end of the story. The account of Jesus doesn't end there. Let's go back to the Bible. The women had just realized that they uh, couldn't move the heavy stone from the mouth of the tomb. But, verse 4, when they had looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white, a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So they came to anoint a dead body, but they came up empty. The body of Jesus was no longer there. Instead, an angel had told them that he is risen. Everyone thought this Jesus thing was over. But now he's risen from the dead. He's got to be more than a human being to do this. He must be God himself. The author of life is able to conquer death. Jesus really is the son of God if he is risen from the dead. This is the world-changing event. And it's so massive because it confirms what Jesus did. We've heard already what Jesus uh, came to do. That he came to pay the price, pay the fine, pay the debt of death for our sin, to bring us God's forgiveness. If Jesus is risen from the dead, then God's forgiveness is complete. And so Joseph of Arimathea can be forgiven for staying silent when Jesus was on trial. The women and the disciples can be forgiven for not believing that Jesus, what Jesus said about rising from the dead. You and I can be forgiven for all the times we have failed to trust God, for all the times we haven't loved others as ourselves. We can have this forgiveness if we put our faith in Jesus. His plan of salvation is complete. But also if he's risen from the dead, we have a certain hope to look forward to. We heard in our second reading that in his great mercy, God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Jesus rising from the dead means that you and I will rise on the last day. His resurrection will catch up with us all. Death is not the end if Jesus is risen from the dead. And if you have faith in Jesus, then we have the certain hope of an eternal inheritance, eternal life in a perfected world. All this is confirmed because Jesus rose from the dead. But there is one twist left in Mark's gospel account. After hearing the news that Jesus is risen from the dead, what do you expect is going to happen 
to the women. You'd expect an instant transformation in their lives, wouldn't you? They are the first eyewitnesses to the empty tomb, to this world-changing event. Surely they'll be filled with faith and boldness and excitement. God's king is not dead anymore, but alive. But that's not how the women respond. Instead of bold and excited, they are trembling and bewildered. Instead of being filled with a new zeal to be obedient to God, well, the angels said said to them, go tell the disciples. But they said nothing because they were afraid. Just hearing that Jesus is risen from the dead doesn't automatically generate faith. Uh, my youngest daughter has just upgraded to a, a slightly bigger bike, and she's still coming to groups with it, and so she's a little unpredictable with uh, steering in particular. And so when we ride on the footpath and come, uh, come up to a pedestrian, I'll, I'll be behind her, and I'll just ring my bike bell just to let them know that we're coming. Uh, now, I want them to respond to that bell just by looking back. They don't need to move. We can go around, but just so that uh, they're aware of what's uh, coming. Uh, now, some people don't hear my bell because they've got AirPods in and don't hear a thing. They just power on. Others will hear the bell and uh, they will look around and go, okay, they'll note that we're coming and they'll stick to one side and we'll go around. But others will hear the bell but do nothing. They will think, oh, it's not for me. And so they will just walk on oblivious, not knowing the danger that they're in with my young daughter approaching them (laughs) with an oversized bike. It's like that with the women. They hear the bell. They hear the news that Jesus is risen from the dead. But they don't have the response of faith, at least not here. They respond with trembling and fear. They flee out of the tomb. They run away, keeping the good news to themselves. And so for us today, Easter Day is a day where we hear the bell. We hear the news again. Jesus is risen. He is the Son of God. Your sin can be forgiven and you can be right with God through his death. We can have certain hope of eternal life. But that's only if we have faith in him. And that faith isn't automatic just by hearing. You can remain unchanged and unaffected by the world-changing event of Jesus' resurrection. Uh, One Bible scholar says of these two women, the Marys, that even the visitation of angels at the empty tomb fails to produce faith. Faith comes rather through hearing the gospel and a personal encounter with the one who was crucified and is now raised from the dead. Faith doesn't come just through witnessing a miracle. The greatest miracle might happen right before you, but that won't necessarily produce faith in God's Son. Instead, if you want faith in Jesus, or if you want your faith to grow in Jesus... We need to keep hearing the gospel. We need to keep hearing the good news of Jesus. And that's what we do Sunday by Sunday here. 
or in our small groups through the week. We read the Bible hearing the good news of Jesus. And we need to personally encounter Jesus to have faith. We encounter Jesus not kind of face to face, obviously, but as we listen to him, as he speaks through the Bible. We encounter Jesus as we pray and depend our lives on him. We encounter Jesus as we trust what he says, do what he instructs, and show that and, uh, and believe that he is trustworthy. Faith is not automatic. The women show that. It is hearing the gospel events and deciding to trust who Jesus is, what he has done for you, and what he has said. That's what faith is. So is that what you want this Easter? Will you respond with faith, an ongoing faith in Jesus, recognizing the world-changing event that Jesus' life and death and resurrection are, is? Or will you remain unchanged and unaffected until the risen King catches up with you? So will you trust that Jesus' death brings you to God? Will you have faith in what Jesus says, that his way is the best? And will you depend on him as your saviour and live with him as king? Because then you'll be changed to live for God. You'll know that nothing stands between you and him. And you'll have the hope of eternal life that God will give us in a perfected world. All because Jesus is risen. Amen.